In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy and light, and led me to cross is one of the most recognizable symbols in human history. To most, the cross means Christian. Simple as that. But the Roman cross, the real cross that Jesus Christ died on, was much more than just a symbol. First century historians actually ranked the most brutal ways for criminals to be put to death in Rome. There was a tie for second, being burned alive or being fed to a wild beast. But the supreme Roman penalty Sumum Supplicium was a lengthy process called crucifixion. First century Roman historians recorded for us the barbarity of crucifixion. Josephus called it the most wretched of deaths. In 1977, Martin Hengel published his authoritative book on crucifixion. In it, he described the spectacle as a quote Utterly offensive affair, obscene in the original sense of the word. Crucifixion was almost exclusively used on the poor, with the majority of victims being rebellious slaves. Because of this, it earned another nickname. Servile supplicium, or the slave's punishment. A Roman guard, called a praetorian, would usually strip the condemned naked, then viciously whip them. The Bible calls it scourging. But the whips used by Praetorians were not really one whip, but several attached to a single handle. Each rope of the whip was about three feet long, and often had bone fragments, spikes, or hooks woven in it, ensuring that chunks of the victim's flesh would be torn away with every blow. The next phase was carrying a 150-pound wooden beam to the place where they would eventually be nailed to it. The other part of the cross the vertical beam, was often a permanent structure and served dual purposes. Along with eventually bearing the weight of the victim nailed to it, the tall and ominous beam served as a constant reminder to passers-by of the fate they too could suffer if they rebelled against their Roman rulers. Quintilian, a first-century Roman educator, 
praise the process of crucifixion as a good work. Whenever we crucify the guilty, the most crowded roads are chosen, he explained, where the most people can see and be moved by this fear. Once the victim reached the location of the vertical beam, the Roman guards would hammer five to seven inch iron spikes through the victim's wrists. An experienced Praetorian would split the two bones in the forearm, making the body less likely to give way. Iron spikes were also hammered through the victim's heels. Once upright and nailed to the cross, it could be days before the condemned would die. Since the Praetorians were not allowed to leave until the victim was dead, sometimes they would hurry the process along by stabbing the crucified with spears, bludgeoning their chest with clubs, lighting a smoky fire below the cross to asphyxiate the victim, or by breaking their legs, which would cause the victim to suffocate under the weight of their own body. Jesus Christ himself volunteered to experience an obscene amount of suffering. God on earth, suffering the servile supplicium, the slave's punishment, the most wretched of deaths. But why? Why would God choose that fate for his only son? Before they even created the world, he and the Father made a pact that, that Jesus was going to come down to earth and become a man and and experience everything that it is to be a human being, be confined to one body and and, and be hungry and, and hurt and tired and all the things we are. And then he was going to be nailed to a tree and die, the, the most horrific death that the world has known, and also be separated from the Father, separated from that love that he's always had. That was when the, the sins of the world were put on him. And I beheld associate producer Morris Chestnut. Welcome to the seventh and final episode of GFC Productions' presentation of Jesus and Big Joe. Good afternoon, everyone. I want to welcome you to the 2017 very first Pastor School graduation. And so um, at this moment, we're going to call the, the students one by one to receive their diplomas. So we'd like to begin with Jamie Brown. Yeah. Next, we have our beloved Joseph McGuire. <laughs> Thank you. Go, buddy. 
Love you. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. You're welcome, Thank you, Carl. <laughs> it's meant so much to me the last two years. And one of the things that we learned is, is that God, he loves the minister. He loves the person more than he loves the ministry. And he cares more about our relationship with him and us more than what we do for him. And so my prayer is that we'll just keep seeking that intimate relationship with Jesus and seeking to love him and, and letting that love and our joy that we get from that love with him be our strength that, that propels us forward to be able to share Jesus with the world that, that desperately needs him. A few things became apparent as all the photos were taken that day. The million-dollar smile of Big Joe's youth had returned, and the spark in his eye was back gleaming in full. And while this was a graduation ceremony, it was really more beginning than end for Big Joe. There's still a race that needs to be run and battles that need to be fought until we all cross the finish line in the presence of the Lord. We can say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. It's three months after Big Joe's graduation from pastor school. Brenda and her son are working on filling the large suitcase sprawled open across Big Joe's bed. You want to go to Jerusalem? You could go for walks where Jesus was. Lexi, are you sure you don't want to go? We could go for walks where Jesus walked with the disciples. That'd be fun. Not too many doggies could say they did that. Yeah, so I had actually found out probably a couple of weeks before the, the graduation, I had been approached by John. I guess he found out that there was a need for someone to fill a spot there at the Extension Campus in Jerusalem. So he had uh, recommended me. Big Joe would have several responsibilities while he was in Jerusalem one of which was to escort a class of young men and women to the very places where Jesus had walked the earth and to teach them about the life of the Messiah. In total, he's now made this journey three times, teaching in places like the Mount of Olives. So Jesus, after he rose from the dead, in the book of Acts, it talks about how he appeared to his disciples for this period of 40 days, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And he says, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And then after that, he ascends up into heaven. He ascends up on a, a cloud and, and disappears into the sky. And the disciples are standing there, you know, amazed. In places like the southern steps of the temple. And so that was where Jesus would have entered into the temple all the times that he went. Right, especially when he went in the two times to, to cleanse the temple, to flip over the money changers' tables and, and drive all of this uh, false worship and that out of the temple and, and ultimately restore it for what it was for, a place where people could come and meet with God and, and be healed by God. Places like the Garden of Gethsemane. He went there to pray with Peter and James and John and was agonizing about having to go to the cross and fighting the temptation of, of the, the devil to, to not go to the cross, really, and agonizing over that temptation to the point where he dropped, sweated drops of blood. But then an angel came and ministered to him and strengthened him. And then he was able to you know, do what, what he had been called to do. 
in places like the Jordan River. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist was in the Jordan River. But Big Joe didn't only teach in the river. We would go out into the Jordan River and baptize the students that wanted to be baptized there in the Jordan. And finally, Big Joe taught in places like the Sea of Galilee. That's where, you know, he walked on water and calmed the winds and the waves. That's primarily where he did most of his ministry was around the Sea of Galilee, where we read in Matthew chapter 4 where these guys are out fishing, right? Because they were fishermen from Galilee. And uh, John and James, they're working on their father's boat, mending the nets. And Peter and Andrew are basically doing the same thing. And Jesus just walks by them and, and says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. A fisher of men is somebody that's um, trying to uh, catch and save souls, really. They had spent their whole life trying to catch fish to feed people. Now they're going to go out and try to, to turn souls to Jesus. Do you feel that God has called you to be a fisher of men? Yeah, I, I think he's called every Christian to be a fisher. These are the type of things that, that stick in your craw, that stick in your mind, that sometimes when you lay down at night and you go to sleep, and there's a lot of things that sometimes we dwell on that we can't let go. Until that day they put me into the ground, it'll have an effect uh, upon me. What did these hands do? So I haven't seen him or talked to him in well, probably like, I don't know, seven or eight years now, I'm guessing. Maybe longer than that. I am in some ways looking forward to this opportunity to, to finally do this. It has been on my heart for a while. I'm basically going uh, to meet with him just to tell him that, that I, I forgive him for what happened and I don't hold this against him. And... Um, just going to trust and, and see what, what God will do with that. You know, once you brought that up last week, it kind of resurfaced some some emotions. And I kind of had a hard time at times with it. My emotions were up and down. And I know that Jesus commands us to forgive. We're not always going to want to forgive or feel like forgiving. But that's what the Bible tells us to do. And it's really God's prescription for healing, not just for him to know that he's forgiven, but also for me. It's how I'm going to find healing and, and peace. I think it's also a great opportunity for the gospel. You know, he's not a believer. Over nine years after he was lost to follow up, Big Joe sat across from Dr. X, looked him in the eye, forgave him, and shared the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The tumbling blocks that were sown while he was captive in the darkness had made him a fisher of men. Just yesterday, actually, I was walking down the street, and, and this lady got off a bus and was just bawling, crying. She didn't really speak much English. She was really shaken up. And, and so I just stopped and was like, hey, can I pray for you? I want to pray for you. And, and in the middle of praying for her, it was like her complete countenance just completely changed. She stopped crying. It was like this, like she was given strength. And I think that's just kind of a picture of what, what's always happening. Right? Because we're walking through this fallen, cursed world where people are getting beat up and abused and hurt all the time. 
And so my job is really to, to try to turn people's attention back to God. I wasn't very excited when I heard you were going to be doing this. I'm like, why? Why are we going to do this? Like, this is just going to open all those things that I like buried in the closet. And then I want to think about that time in my life. And, and I'm like, why would you want to open the closet, Joe? Like you kind of moved on. You're in a different place. Why would we want to do this? But I think there was some healing that came from it, actually healing for him lessons like when you like we think about like all that you've been through then it kind of reminds you and then lessons and healing also for us just to kind of think back through how blessed and grateful we are that those lessons brought him here and I think it's stories like Joe that can get people hope I wanted to hear stories like that when he was going through his thing I wanted to meet those people I wanted to know things were going to be okay so I hope that maybe somehow you get this story into their hands and that they can know that it can be okay that we just need to keep praying for our kids and praying for those that you know go through troubles and like we don't understand why they're going through a trouble but if channeled the right direction and, and with God anything is possible and that lives can be transformed if we turn it over to God it was only when he surrendered was it able to change and he's going to be able to go and uh, serve the Lord, and, and he has a Holy Spirit in him. I know he does. And so all those things, I just think about them as like, they all were just little pieces and parts that built up to making the whole quilt, and that you had to like go through the suffering of hooking them all together and the detail of making it all fit. I think we should also share a testimony too. So when he does, it's, it's pretty amazing to hear, you know, how God has totally transformed this, this man. When he tells his testimony, it's powerful. People listen, that's for sure. His testimony is fantastic. It's incredible. I mean, all of ours are, but if you think about what he's gone through and what the Lord has allowed in his life and then how he's used them for his kingdom and his glory, it's phenomenal. On November 25th, 2015, Big Joe took the stage at his church, the same church that he and Brenda had been guided to those years before, and shared his testimony about Jesus Christ, the light that shined into and overcame the darkness that had once held him captive. All right, Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to share your testimony of what you've done in my life with um, your church. Out of high school, I was the, the number one ranked offensive lineman in the entire nation. I had scholarship offers to any school in the entire country. And uh, I had it all planned out. I was going to go to USC for a few years and play football there and then have a long career in the NFL. But it didn't really work that way. After two seasons, I had four surgeries and the doctors told me I could never play football again. I didn't know God at this time, so it really hit me hard. I started doing drugs and drinking and um, just getting in a lot of trouble. To make matters worse, the football team got, got really good right when I left it. They started winning national championships, and all my friends were going to the NFL. And just seeing my dream come true and them really just crushed me so bad that I just stopped going to school. You fast forward about five years, I got this job working at Servite High School where I was um, going to be the strength and conditioning coach 
for part of my job, I had to uh, have a Bible verse or a quote ready for them to say at the end of the workout. I didn't even have a Bible. I didn't even know where to get a Bible. But I had a, a friend that I, I used to work out with who was a Christian that was always, uh, he was always witnessing to me. And so I went and asked him for a Bible, and he gave me a, a King James Bible. I started reading that every day, trying to um, find verses for the kids to read at the end of their workouts. And um, after doing that for a couple of months, it just seemed like the, the reasonable, logical thing to do was to give my, my life to Jesus. And so I did that. A few months after that, I, I hurt my shoulder again. I completely ripped it out of the socket. It was really bad. I, uh, I went to the doctors. They did a surgery called a, a glenoid osteotomy. And uh, it was a, really bad, but it didn't work. So they went to plan B, which was a, a shoulder fusion. They took four four-inch screws and uh, put it in my arm. About six months later, I wasn't getting any better, so I go to the doctors and they um, do the normal thing. They give me some painkillers and take an x-ray and just tell me to come back in a month. I'm at home for a couple of hours and all of a sudden God gives me this vision. I see that my arm has an infection in it. I see that I'm going to have a lot of surgeries. I see that my arm's going to get cut off, but I see a lot of good coming from it. And this really like blew my mind. I was like, never seen anything like this. So I go get my computer out and I start looking up infections and it even blew my mind more that it fit perfect, the symptoms. So I call my doctor up and I'm like, hey duck, my arm's infected. And he's like, no it's not. I just saw you like a couple hours ago. You're crazy. The next day, you know, I'm even more convinced that my arm's infected. So I call the doctor and the same thing. Wednesday I call him and I'm, you know, completely convinced that I have an infection in my arm. And he says, you know, just so I'll leave him alone, I'll call you in some antibiotics. So I take those for a week. By the time I go see him after that, it's all puffy and red. And he sticks a, a needle in there and pulls out 30 cc's of pus. And he's like, yeah, your arm's infected. So I have another surgery where they take the infected hardware out of my arm. And... Uh, they put me on IV antibiotics, but I just keep getting sicker. Over the next four years, I have 12 surgeries trying to remove the infected bone. I was probably hospitalized 50 times. I, had a, I got this rare blood disease that almost killed me called TTP. I even had a stroke. I went from doctor to doctor all over Orange County, and nobody knew what was wrong with me, how to fix me, or what to do. I finally got referred to a, uh, the best orthopedic oncologist, supposedly in the world, at USC Medical Center. And after working with him, he said that there really wasn't much left that they could do. All the bone was gone in my shoulder. He didn't have anything to work with. So he recommended amputating my arm. On uh, September 26, 2013, I had my arm amputated. That was my 15th shoulder surgery. But during that four-year period, God revealed himself to me in a, in a massive way. You know, I started out pretty bad. I had horrible anxiety, horrible pain, insomnia, anger, taking meds, abusing them, and uh, it was just really bad. I felt all alone. All my friends had left me. And then all of a sudden, I, I got invited to this home Bible study. I went there, met some cool people. 
And I just started falling in love with God. I started spending my days searching the scriptures, getting to know Jesus. I believe that it was through that time, spending long hours every day searching out the scriptures, that God started making me spiritually minded. One verse that really ministered to me the most during that time, and I feel it's real appropriate for the holiday we're about to celebrate, is Philippians 4, 6 through 8. It says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. As I concentrated on the pure, lovely, true things, the things with virtue, I started noticing how much God was working in my life. I stopped concentrating on my circumstances and started concentrating on God. I started looking for things to, to praise God for instead of things to complain about. And at this time, God gave me peace, a peace that I couldn't find through the psychiatrists and the medicines. I began to realize that God had the eternal picture in mind, that he was doing great things in me and through me. I realized that God was shaping and forming me into the image of his son, Jesus. I really started to believe that God was working all these things together for good. You know, a couple months after my amputation, I was getting on the bus, and this teenager came up to me, and he's like, hey, you're Joe McGuire. You don't know who I am, but my mom, she worked in one of the hospitals you were in. And she died about a year ago from, from cancer. But the last two years that she was alive, all she could talk about was you. How going through the circumstances you had, how you could have peace, and we're still worshiping and praising God, it really changed her life, the last two years of it. And through that, I got saved as well. You know, th that really hit me, because I didn't even know she existed. And it made me think about how many other people God used my suffering to reach. This made me thankful for the suffering that God gave me. You know, all I really want is to be used by God to make an impact on his kingdom. And if I have to suffer for that, then so be it. I learned that the trials that God gives us are really opportunities, not only for us to grow closer to God being sanctified, but also to be used by God that there's no greater witness than somebody that has horrible circumstances, horrible suffering, but has peace and is praising God. I believe that for this reason, we can count it all joy when we encounter various trials and suffering. That the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Lord, I want to thank you again for this opportunity. I want to thank you for the trials and suffering you let me go through, especially in losing my arm. I want to thank you more than all for you and for giving us your written word. I ask that you put it in all of our hearts to just want to know you and your word intimately. And Lord, I ask that you just let us have sweet fellowship with our family tomorrow and let us be a light to the unsaved family members we have. 
I love you, Jesus. Amen. Jesus and Big Joe is brought to you by GFC Productions. For updates, behind-the-scenes content, and special offers, follow GFC Productions on Facebook and Instagram at at Jesus and Big Joe and on Twitter at at Jesus and Big Joe. I'm Morris Chestnut, the associate producer. The producer and writer is Kyle Hogan. Be sure to subscribe to Jesus and Big Joe on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. Become eligible for giveaways of exclusive merchandise like gear signed by me, associate producer Morris Chestnut, by leaving a review of Jesus and Big Joe on one of the podcast platforms and emailing a screenshot of it to gfcpromotions at protonmail.com. Only reviews left within three weeks of the original launch date are eligible. The score for Jesus and Big Joe is performed by Aaron Hill. All I Have is Christ, originally written by Jordan Coughlin. Copyright 2008. Sovereign Grace Praise BMI. Sovereign Grace Music is a division of Sovereign Grace Churches. All rights reserved. The song was used by permission. Administrated worldwide at www.capitalcmgpublishing.com. Excluding the UK, which is administrated by Integrity Music, part of the David C. Cook family. You can visit Sovereign Grace Music at www.sovereigngracemusic.com. Audio editing, mixing, and mastering was done by Resonate Recordings. Visit GFC Productions' website at www.gfclife.com and subscribe to their email list for updates, information, discounts, deals, and more. A special thank you to Calvary Chapel, Sovereign Grace Music, the McGuire family, and everyone who made it possible to tell the story of Jesus and Big Joe.